Hey, I'm Noble. Thanks for checking out the message today. I'm so thankful that you're here and we would love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97000. You can also go through our website and find out more about us and see what we have coming up. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go to the giving tab at the top of the page. I just want to thank you for being with us today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Man, you guys sounded good tonight. You guys are singing loud, singing good. Uh, I love to hear it. Well, I've been really loving this series. Uh, Pastor John Carter from our Flushing location did a great job last week and over the last couple of weeks we've been really diving in. And if you haven't been here, we've been taking a look at this idea of the rise after the fall, right? As we have worked through maybe some hard things in our life and as we've struggled and we've gotten to maybe low points, we've gotten to points where we have just been all in for our sin and we've been in need of redemption We have to ask ourselves, right, as we look to Jesus, as we look to live in light of the gospel, what do we do now, right? What now? There's that question over and over. And when we look for redemption, right, and as we're looking to Christ, and as we're looking to live differently, because Our current way of living or the way that we've kind of same old, same old, always lived has not been working out. We ask ourselves, what do we do now? How do we live looking for redemption and that redemption in Jesus Christ? And I love that we've been taking a look at different places in Scripture where we've seen that God loves to redeem and restore and that there's hope for us even after times of struggle and hurt and sin, there is redemption. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at stories of redemption. And we've been looking at the ways in which God has redeemed and restored. And tonight, we're going to talk about how, through the power of Christ, we can look to become strengthened to live as people redeemed and restored by God, right? As we've looked at stories and examples of people who've come out of those places of darkness and been redeemed by God, how do we live now that the Lord has redeemed us? How does he strengthen us? And tonight I'm really excited for that, but before we do, let's pray together if you'd bow your heads with me. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word This evening, Lord, that as we turn to you in our time of need, as we turn to you looking for redemption, Lord, I'm so incredibly thankful that you've given us your word to study and be encouraged by and to be challenged by. Lord, I pray that we would not just treat it like any other old book. We wouldn't treat it like the dictionary. We wouldn't treat it like some fantasy novel. We would treat it as your word, the very word inspired by God, and that we would use it as our guide to live. Lord, we love you. In your precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians, we're going to be in chapter one right off the get-go. And so... Uh, if you don't know very much about Philippians, that's, that's okay. Um, the, the book of Philippians, it's written to the 
people at Philippi. Philippi was, was a, a city or, or a, a town, and there was a church. Back in the old days, there wasn't a bunch of churches in one town. It was very small. Uh, the, the gospel was just starting out. Churches were just starting. And so there was usually just one church per town, right, or per city. And so Philippians are the people, right? They're the people of Philippi. And so Paul, who you, if you've been around church, you've probably heard Paul was one of the apostles. And he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. And, and so we, sometimes as we read the books of Scripture, we forget that they were actually letters, right? Paul was kind of writing a letter to help the church at Philippi as they were getting started out and encourage them. And so Paul, as he's writing to the Philippian church, he's kind of writing to help them all get on the same page, right? When, when church was just getting started out, when the gospel was just getting started out, uh, being spread to all these different places, everyone kind of had a different idea of what the focus should be, right? What should we focus on as we're walking with Christ, as we've received this new salvation, this new gospel of Jesus Christ, as we've been forgiven, as we've been redeemed from our sins, what is it that we should focus on? And so there was all these different ideas. And so Paul was writing specifically right out of the gate. He said, this is where your heart should be at. And so he writes initially as he starts the book, kind of assuming they have a heart for the gospel. He says, you should have a heart to see people saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And so tonight... I start by saying, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't listen to anything else I'm going to say. Focus on that. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only means by which you can have redemption. It's the only means by which you will find forgiveness. It's the only means by which you will find strength and healing and power to resist the temptations in your life. It is the only road to heaven. It is everything. And that gospel is that God loved us so much in our sin, in our disobedience, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly and was fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life and to go to the cross and die, taking the punishment that we deserved for our sins. And then he rose again, showing that he had power over death and he had power to truly offer forgiveness and payment for our sins. And he says, if you want that salvation, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and that he has risen from the dead and follow him. Right? And so Paul says, I am assuming, or as he writes, he's kind of writing with the assumption that that is kind of what they're unified in. He says, hopefully, if you follow Christ, you understand that that's kind of the chief thing, the most important thing, that people hear the gospel just as you heard the gospel. But as he writes and he, he explains that heart or that, that, that assumption that they should be reaching people with the gospel, he also tries to encourage them that they should also have a heart for something else. And he starts talking about 
his heart for something that they haven't quite figured out yet. Something that's a little bit more difficult. Something that requires a little bit more effort, that is a little bit more uncomfortable, that is weird. And so we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And so he starts off, and, and, and I can imagine kind of the Philippians reading this passage, and they, they read, oh, only let your manner of, of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're like, amen, Paul, right? Yes, I want to live my life in a way that reflects the redemption and the, uh, the restoration that I've been given according to the gospel, Amen. And then they, they start reading, continuing to say that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And they started to realize, wait, wait, he's talking about like us working through our faith together. And I thought this whole gospel thing was like individual, right? Where I could show up and I could kind of sit alone and I didn't have to share anything about my life. I didn't have to talk about anything I was going through. I didn't have to be embarrassed. I didn't really have to talk about things. And and I could just kind of sit alone in my individual little section and figure out my life with Jesus on my own personal level and not have to do anything else. And then I started thinking, like, wait, no, no, no. He's talking about like, us doing this together. You want to do that? No, me neither. But Paul, he continues to assert that idea and he uses these words that kind of talk about a fight. And he said, if you're in this fight, if you're in this battle, right, if you have these opponents that, that are trying to destroy you, you have to stand firm together. You can't fight alone. He says, you have to have a heart to stand together. Yes, I'm so glad that you have a heart for the gospel. But you have to have a heart for each other. You have to have a heart to stand together when you would be discouraged. When you would be defeated. When you would be frightened. Some of you may be feeling a lot like the Philippians. You may be feeling frightened. You may be feeling discouraged. And you would rather deal with that alone because it's more comfortable. The last thing you want to do is to have someone know your stuff. Because you don't, you don't want to stand by anyone else. And then even further than that, the last thing you want to do is have to bear other people's stuff. You're like, I got my own stuff going on. 
I'm not taking your stuff. Focus on my stuff. And then he, they read this, and I can imagine them just reading it and, and really trying to figure out what Paul means by this. And I love the way, like I said, that Paul talks about this. He almost used, like, used this, this imagery of like combat or fight or a battle. He says, as you walk with Christ, as you strive to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, he says, that's going to be a fight. It's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be a day at the beach. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be sweaty and bloody, and it's going to be hard. And he says, the way in which you combat that which is looking to stop you from living a life worthy of the gospel is to have a heart to stand with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, Philippians, if you want to figure it out, live together as Philippians. I wrote this letter to you people, not you, John, or you, X person, fill in the blank. Cindy or Liz or Beth or Todd, right? He says, you Philippians, I'm writing to you together. Get together and stand firm together. And you, as the River Church, as the recovery community, the Lord encourages you through the word of Paul to do the same. And he says, gathering together strengthens us against the opposition we face from our enemies. When we stand firm together, it strengthens us against the opposition that we face from our enemies. Your walk with Christ Your walk in recovery, it truly is a battle. It's a difficult fight, and it's scary at times. And there's times where it feels defeating. And the way that you stand firm, the way that you can have confidence is by standing together with other believers. is by fighting together with the people that are in this room. And some of you may be asking the question, well, Justin, right, as you've been talking about salvation, you've been talking about how Jesus Christ, he came and we have this gospel and he lived and he died on the cross and he gave us forgiveness and redemption, right? Didn't he use those words, it is finished? Why are you talking about a battle that's still waging war? Why are you talking about a battle that's still going on? I thought it was over, I thought that when I started this process of salvation that it was going to be kind of easy after that. Well, here's the thing. I want to kind of relate it to something that may help illuminate what's going on in the battle that you are maybe waging in your own life. On May 8th, 1945... The German army officially surrendered to the Allied powers, right? The war in Europe 
World War II, the, the, Easter, or the, the, the European front, the war was over. The Allied powers had won. But the thing was, even though the surrender was issued on May 8th, 1945, fighting continued. Soldiers continued to fight, not knowing that there was a surrender issued at all. And in Europe, fighting continued for almost a week after, and the last troops of the German army to finally actually surrender were in September. Think about that. Months, months of fighting, months of waging war, months of dying after the war was already over, after the war had already been won. I say this to help you to know that two things are true. Our enemy has lost. Right? Jesus Christ has won the war. It is finished. Forgiveness, salvation is offered to you through the gospel. The eternal resting place of your soul is decided. Satan will not win. But... That doesn't mean he's done fighting. Right? We live, there's this, there's this weird time, right, where we live on earth in this fallen world. And Satan knows that he's lost, but he continues to battle, seeking to take as many down with him as possible. Right? That's, that's the true evil that he is. We have won because of the work of the gospel. We can celebrate and know that to be true and remember the faithfulness of God. But we must continue to stand firm. We must continue to resist the opposition. We must continue to hold fast to the truth of the gospel, to salvation, and to our obedience to our Savior. And as we follow him, we must stay focused on him. And that means standing firm in truth and living the way he calls us to live. And in order to stand firm against our opposition, we need to understand who our enemy is. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, must, much like Philippians, was written to the church in the city of Ephesus, right? A group of people together who are striving for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was writing to them and helping them to understand the basics of following Jesus. And really, the reality of resisting very present threats, even though the war was over, there was still a present threat seeking to destroy them. And in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so truly, we fight 
against three main enemies. The first is Satan and his minions. Right? The battle is not physical. It is spiritual. There's a spiritual battle going on for your obedience. There's a spiritual battle going on for the souls of lost individuals. That's very real. And I don't say that to scare you, but to put in the sobering reality of what is going on. And why every moment of every day we need the strength that comes from Jesus Christ. Because the battle doesn't stop. And so we must wage war and stand firm against our enemy, Satan and his minions. And then the second enemy is our own fallen nature. Scripture calls this the flesh. And this is different than what Paul is saying in Ephesians. He says flesh and bone. He's talking about like physical people. He's saying it's not against like me and you. It's against bigger things. Things that don't necessarily have physical forms. But when it talks about the flesh and other parts of scripture and our enemies, that's a term for like who we were. The, the lostness, the old self that we left behind when we started to follow Christ. And so our enemy is that old self trying to catch back up with us. Trying to drag us down. Trying to pull us back to who we were. That's the temptations. That's the cravings. That's the hurt. It's the moments when we want to say the things that we used to say or do the things that we used to do. Right? It's that feeling of lostness that seems so good when we're struggling or hurting. Seeking to tempt us by pulling us back to the sin we know all too well. It's our enemy. Scripture talks about us waging war against the flesh. Your flesh is your enemy. And we like to treat it like an old friend, but it's not that. It's an invader. The last is against the world. And this isn't people. Sometimes we like to label it as that in our mind. We like to think, oh, those people, those sinful people, those terrible people, that political party, that agenda, that music. It's not against people, not against the flesh and blood, but the ideals that continuously creep into our culture. Selfishness. Glorifying who we are. The idea that We don't need anyone. We're strong enough on our own. That our vices aren't that bad. It's just fun. It's just quirky. Uh, You know, you can have a couple. It's not a big deal. You just need to be sober enough to have a couple drinks. Right? It's this culture, it's this idea that wants to give us fading comforts rather than eternal salvation. It's a desire 
for something to fill a void that only Jesus Christ can fill. And so we have these enemies, right? These very real enemies that are facing us on all sides. And Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. You see the very present and real threats that are surrounding you. Stand firm together. How can you fight on every side alone? You cannot. Stand firm together against the foes, the things that are waging war against you, that are seeking to kill you and take you back to the death which you lived for so long. And as all these things are seeking to destroy us, seeking to discourage us, seeking to to entrap us and defeat us and destroy us, we must stand together against these enemies. So you may look and say, how? Right? Yes, Justin, I understand. I should be standing by my brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, how do I do that? Do I just sit beside them and we're good? Do I like have to like move a bunk bed into my room and like always have another person in the room with me? Is that how? Paul, he says, this happens in a very specific way. Continuing in in Ephesians chapter 6 on to verse 13, it says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in this evil way and having done all things to stand firm. He, he talks about this armor. He says, he says, equip yourselves. He says, put this, this armor on yourself. And if you continue through the passage, it talks about what that armor is. And I encourage you, highlight that passage of scripture or put a bookmark in there and read that when you get home because that is Those attributes are the way in which you continue to stand firm. And that's a whole other sermon that we can go through. But he gives this idea of like putting on this armor. Now you and I, right, if you've watched fantasy movies or if you think about the, the common knight in shining armor, we always see like the knight when he has the armor on. And you're like, oh, he probably like, you know, put that on like a sweatshirt, right? He's just like... Put it on. Easy peasy. Not a big deal. But for these people, right, they lived around the Romans. They saw Roman soldiers. They understood what putting on armor is. They knew that putting on armor was not like an individual thing. Like you just put it on like your clothes for the day. They knew that putting on armor actually required a group of people. If you ever heard of the term armorers before, that's the people that put on the armor, put a person's armor on. Because here's the thing, armor was bulky. It was big. It had a ton of clasps clasps and clamps. They were in a bunch of different hard-to-reach places. And so one person could not put on their own armor. They had to have a group of people come beside them and strap on their breastplate and put on their shoulder guards and cinch their belt and put their sword on their side and clasp their greaves. It was a long process that required multiple people. It was a community thing. And so when Paul says, here's the way that you resist 
this very present and real war that's going on, he says you need to have this spiritual armor, which he lays out in the latter parts of of chapter 6. And he says you have to put that armor on. And that's not an individual thing. That's a group thing. You have to look to your brothers and sisters on either side of you. Said, hey, you need this shoulder guard on? Yeah. Do you need your shield? Do you need your breastplate cinched? Yes. All right, let's do that together as a group. That, it's what it means to stand firm, is to help other people be equipped according to the gifts that God has given us in his word, through prayer, through encouragement. Why do you think that we do that encouragement at the beginning every night? It's not because I just love to hear it. I do love to hear it. Please hear that. But that's not the only reason. It's because it equips us. It encourages us together for us to know that there is success happening in our midst. How? Through the power of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the truth that Paul is getting at over and over. He says, gathering together is more than just showing up once a week and sitting in the same room. Gathering together is more than just being in the same building for a couple, couple hours one night a week. And if you jump back to, to Philippians, and you go to chapter 2, Paul continues to expand on this idea. He says, as you look to grow together, as you're equipping one another, as you're living to look in a manner worthy of Christ, and as you're standing firm together against a very real and present threat, here's how it happens. uh, Chapter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, do these things looking for your brother, looking for your sister. It's easy for you to have a blind spot. So watch your brother and let your sister watch you. If you all have each other's backs, no one is left with a blind spot. So the question goes, why does Paul tell us that we need to, to do these things? Why? Some of you may be looking and you say, man, I don't want to be in the same mind as the people in this room. Some of you are like, man, there's some messed up minds in this room. That's the last thing I want to be the same mind of. See, why, why do I need to count that person more significant than myself? I don't even know their interests, so how could I put their interests over my own? Man, this sounds a lot more involved than just one Tuesday night. Man, you're starting to get the point. Yeah, if you don't know the things that your brothers and sisters are striving for, that's a problem. Get to know them. 
Man, yeah, it's hard for you to put others' needs more significant than yourself. Yeah, it's because you're probably struggling with selfishness. That's an issue. That's why you're wrestling with sin, because you want what you want more than what Christ wants for you. That's selfishness. Man, this seems a lot more involved than a Sunday or a Tuesday. Yeah. Because I hate to break the news to you, but your walk with Christ is more than just showing up to this building once a week. Your walk in recovery is more than just showing up to this building Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. And I love that you're here. But if you're only here, if you're only looking to be brother, your brothers and sisters in Christ now, you're missing so much. You're missing encouragement. You're missing strength. You're missing accountability. You're missing understanding that your brothers and sisters might have in a certain scripture passage that you missed. There's so much. I could go for hours on the amount of things that standing firm together brings you. If you think that you are going to be equipped to take on spiritual enemies that are trying to take you down every moment of every day by simply showing up to this building, you are dangerously mistaken. See, gathering together, standing firm, equipping one another, worshiping the Lord together require more than just one hour or two hours a week. That's walking life by your brothers and sisters. Our life has to be with each other. Now that doesn't mean, you know, we're all moving cots into the sanctuary, right? Doesn't mean we're having a a sleepover together or a lock-in like the high schoolers do. But what it does mean is we have to be involved in people's lives beyond just the Hey, how are you doing? How's the weather's? How's the weather going? Man, I hope the Lions are good next, next year. Has to be more than that. It means being open. It means being honest. It means maybe getting a few phone numbers from the people in your group and texting them. Maybe getting some people together and read, the, read your Bible together and maybe meet at someone's house throughout the week. Maybe it means getting together have a lunch or a dinner, getting your families together. It means standing firm together. It means looking out for others as they look out for you as we seek to live for Christ. Because here's the thing. Christ's strength is the only strength that will give us power enough to conquer those who seek to oppose us. And the power that Christ gives us, the strength that Christ gives us, it comes in his word, it comes in prayer, and it comes through our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we should be looking to regularly encourage, challenge, pray for each other. 
So I want to ask you a question this week. I mean, I'm actually going to ask two questions. And I want you to think about it. Not just to be like, hmm, that sounds good. But like, go home. Think about it. Maybe write it down. Maybe put it in your phone and look at it later tonight. It says, these are, these are the two questions. First, how are you going to encourage someone to stand firm in their walk this week? How are you going to encourage someone to stand firm in their walk this week? And I, and I mean like actually how. Are you going to write someone a letter to encourage them? Can you give them a phone call? Are you going to be praying for them once a day? How are you going to do it? Second thing, how are you going to be encouraged to stand firm in your walk this week? If you think that you can just walk your walk in recovery, your walk in Christ alone, you are dangerously mistaken. Eventually, you will be overcome. It's more than walking alone. We have to stand firm together. It's being unified together, gathering together, and standing firm together as we walk together towards Christ, looking to the power of the gospel in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, I thank you for this room. Lord, for my brothers and sisters beside me. Lord, Personally, I've had a tough week this week. Lord, and I thank you for the comfort and strength and encouragement that I found in my brothers and sisters in this room tonight. Lord, I'm not strong enough on my own. Lord, no one in this room is strong enough on their own. Lord, and we, we thank you so much that you have given us this, your strength according to the gospel. Lord, you've given us salvation. You've given us power to conquer that which seeks to oppose us. Lord, and that, that, that strength, that power comes through your word and it comes through prayer and it comes through faith, but it also comes through our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can move together, unified towards you. Lord, and I pray that we would not try and go this alone. We would not pretend like we have it all together. Lord, that we would remember that we don't need to be ashamed because we have salvation in you. And that none of us can do it alone. Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, and I pray that they each would see the value of the person sitting next to them person sitting in the robe in front and behind section over Lord because each of us together gather together to pursue you Lord we love you in your precious and holy name Jesus name Amen